I've been thinking all week, as you might imagine, what, what I would say in a, in a few minutes to end our, our time this morning. And I could have said so many different things. Um, for instance, we could have talked about how God uses all sorts of different people, from eccentrics like Granville Sharp, to people with personal experience like Alauda Equiano, uh, and so on. That would have been very enriching, I think, for us to think about how we, as all sorts of different people, can work together for God's glory in in today's world. I could have talked about how blind we can be as Christians, acknowledging, for instance, that John Newton took decades um, to slowly realise the inhumanity and the unchristian nature of um, what he'd been involved in. He moved from barely recognising that it was wrong to recognising that it was wrong but by his own admission staying sinfully silent to finally be, being a, a, a powerful voice for, um, for, for good. That could have been great for us to meditate on as we have to recognise our blindness sometimes and how silent we are. I could have um, uh, talked about how important popular communication and persuasion is. Hannah Moore is a fascinating character who dedicated her life to popularising the anti-slavery movement amongst ordinary people. And uh, as Mary said, though it sounds terribly twee to, to our ears, it was deeply successful. People wouldn't read stodgy bits of research, but they would read a bit of uh, rather weak doggerel. Or um, uh, we could have talked about how important it is for Christians to be involved in politics. The original um, committee that met um, uh, to work for the abolition of slavery um, actually um, didn't have an MP amongst them. And uh, most of them were not Church of England. Many of them were Quakers, in fact. And only someone who was a communicant member of the Church of England could be an MP in those days. Um, So they sought out Wilberforce, recognising they needed a politician to head up their, uh, uh, their movement. Clarkson as well and his involvement in the research shows actually how sometimes it's a really good, the best use of our life not necessarily to be involved in as a minister or a pastor, but to devote ourselves to other areas of, of life where we can uh, see God glorified. We could have talked about that for ages. We could have uh, um, spoken more and thought more about issues of injustice and inequality today and, and really asked ourselves deeply, what are we going to do about it? And I hope that we will do that. We've already done that in house groups and we will continue to do that in our small groups, asking the Lord to show us what um, uh, we should do today. But actually this morning I changed my mind. I decided this morning that um, we should look about at how the gospel shapes us or should shape us. How it is that the central liberating truths of 
and the gospel of Jesus Christ really are the core truths that uh, empowered our Christian forebears and should and can empower us. A central theme throughout the Bible and particularly in the New Testament is God's love extends to all. If uh, you do a word search on the, in, the, in the New Testament alone, you will find that the word all comes up, I counted, 1,243 times. Isn't that extraordinary? As a, as a, um, as a witness of the actually extraordinary, all-inclusive nature of Christian truth and of God's love. Not all of those alls are about all people. We are, um, we are called to submit all of our life to God. Christ rules over all of creation. But many, many of those alls in the New Testament are about God's love and concern for all people, for all nations, for all um, situations, rich and poor, brainy and uh, uneducated, powerful and powerless. All people are loved by God. And uh, that famous verse, John chapter 3 verse 16 encapsulates that in many ways and it has rightly become one of the most uh, remembered verses in the whole of the New Testament. God so loved the world. When John's talking about the world there, he's talking about people and he's particularly, John, talking about people who are running away from God. God so loved all the people in the world who are running away from him that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal love. Here's the mark of God's love for all people, says John. He gave his one and only Son. He gave Jesus Christ. He gave the most precious thing he had, his eternally begotten Son. That's how much he loves all, says the New Testament. And uh, um, because of that, Christ's death is offered to all. You see, Christ didn't just come um, to show us a better way to live. He certainly did that. He didn't just come to demonstrate that God loves us um, uh, in, a, in, a, in a broad and numinous way. He came to demonstrate, to enact, to live out God's love for us through his death. And particularly through Christ dying on the cross for our sins, paying the price for our sins. So that God the Son bore in his body 
the consequences of all our sins so that we don't need to. So that we can be forgiven by the just God. Because God in his justice has made a payment already himself. No no further payment is necessary. Jesus uh, Christ died for sins once. He only needed to do it once. And that was enough. He paid. For all, says Peter. I think certainly my English idiom when I see once for all, I, I read it as once and it's completed. Once and for all. I want to be finished with that, once and for all. But actually that's not what Peter means. No. He, he died um, in one sense for all. For all kinds of people. For all of those different um, Uh, conditions of humanity. All that we need to do now is to say, please God, forgive me. Please God, I come to you. Do you see that? He died, the righteous for the unrighteous, that's us, to bring you to God, to open the way now for us to come to God with all our sins forgiven. Christ's death is offered to all, everyone. Because, says uh, the New Testament, all have sinned. There is no difference. This righteousness, says uh, uh, Paul in Romans chapter 3, this, this, um, this way to be right with God um, comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. See that all again? There is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. Let me unpack that a little bit more. You see? He says there's absolutely no difference between us There was absolutely no difference between William Wilberforce, born into a wealthy, comfortable family in Hull, and the lowliest of slaves who was about to breathe his last breath unnoticed on a slave ship. And Wilberforce knew that. He, Wilberforce, was in need of God's grace. God's free offer of forgiveness. And he knew that he stood before God on absolutely equal ground with those oppressed slaves. He could not claim he was one iota better. And he knew more than that, that he couldn't do any more than that oppressed slave about to breathe his last to make himself right with God. All that he could do was have faith in Jesus Christ 
trust in Jesus Christ. And he saw that the gospel says that uh, anyone who does that is deeply precious, loved by God, assured of an eternity of joy, whatever their background. You see, if God's love is to all in that way, if Christ's death is offered to all in that way, if actually all of us um, are exactly on an even playing field, whether the world thinks of us as great or, or, or little. And shouldn't we live like that? Shouldn't we consider it to be an absolute horror against the, the gospel if we behave in any different way from that? If we despise others, if we ignore others, if we don't actually care for people whom God deeply cares for. God wants all to be free. Now we need to be very clear as to what the gospel says about the freedom that God offers because some people think that um, God's main aim is for us to be uh, free from slavery. And although that's true, not quite in the way that we might immediately think. First of all, says the Bible, God wants us to be free from guilt. For instance, uh, just um, in, the, in the book of Galatians, the Apostle Paul speaks of freedom. It's freedom. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. Don't let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. But there he's talking not about um, whether we have chains around our, our arms or not. He's talking about whether we actually are living as people who are gloriously confident that there is nothing we need to do except trust Jesus Christ for our forgiveness. And we will be accepted by God. What he's saying there is don't actually fill up in your life with all sorts of rituals and extra things that somehow make you think, make, make you think you're better before God. You have been accepted by God simply as you trusted Christ's death on the cross. That's the freedom you're to enjoy, he says. There is not one of us that is, uh, has done any good works that made us more attractive to God. There is not one of us who has done such terrible sins that we are more repulsive to God than the others. We are all loved by God equally. And as we put our trust in Jesus Christ, we are equally free. 
from the fear of condemnation. Free from guilt. Free from the fear of death as well, says the, says the New Testament. For instance, um, in Hebrews chapter 2, Christ, we're told, came to free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Wilberforce knew as he stood before Parliament that those who didn't know Christ, those who had no assurance of God's forgiveness, those who knew that they couldn't um, uh, receive the promise of resurrection life and eternal joy for themselves, they were the slaves, just as much as anyone else. They needed to be free, actually, from that rather genteel slavery that tyrannised them. They needed to know that death holds no ultimate fear if we are forgiven by God. Bible says as well that living in that way, living as those who, for whom death is not the great tragedy but actually the gate into a world of joy and forgiveness, living uh, knowing that there is now no fear of condemnation for us, frees us from all the shackles of this world. Live as Free men, says Peter in 1 Peter 2, uh, just after he's spoken of their need to, to live under the authority of rulers in this world. Don't, but don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. No, live as slaves of God. You never stop being slaves, he says. It's just that when you become a slave of God, you become truly free no matter what your physical situation God wants all to be free in those profound ways and only as we've understood that in the gospel um, can we get to this imperative that those abolitionists knew so clearly as well because they understood the first four um, alls. So God wants his people to do good to all. That's again and again and again found in the New Testament. Let us not grow weary in doing good for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. Therefore, as you have opportunity, let us do good to all people. If God loves his world like that, if God was so passionately committed to people that he was prepared to send his son to die, if, if, if God is so passionately committed to our eternal freedom with no condemnation and no fear in death and no, 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 no fear now of the temporary shackles that bind us in this world, then shouldn't we be fighting for at least some of those shackles to be broken? For us to live out that passionate um, uh, love of God to all people. They saw no distinction between their need to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ 
and to work for freedom in its political and economic senses. These are all just different dimensions of living out the passionate commitment of God to all aspects of all people's whole lives. And the New Testament uses the word all, you see. It's building an extraordinary picture. A picture that goes far, far beyond the issues of slavery that were fought out in Parliament 200 years ago. A far, far bigger, richer picture about human beings discovering true freedom. True freedom that can begin to be enjoyed now as we are assured as forgiveness, as we find a relationship with the living God, as we live within the confines of this world as free people. True freedom that one day will just burst into glorious flowering like the daffodils in spring. Because now we are not encumbered by our tendency to sin. By the fact that death is looming. By the fact that we can't see God. At that point we will have resurrection life. Real life. Real freedom. If we believe that then shouldn't we be fighting with every ounce of our energy to help others begin to enjoy that now by telling them the gospel, by fighting for freedom and liberation in every aspect so that when Christ comes to open the books and look at our life, he'll say, well done. You didn't grow weary. You took your opportunity. You did good in that all-encompassing way. Come and share the happiness of your master.